This is Tea Talks podcast that aims to amplify the voices of thinkers and leaders who are fighting on the front lines of radical change. Powered by Greenpeace Aotearoa, made with the help of our supporters. On the first episode of Tea Talks, we explore activism burnout and what activism looks like to Arizona Ledger, an indigenous woman living in Aotearoa. Arizona is an influential voice for the Pacifica community in mainstream media and among her local community groups. She connects and empowers young women, people of colour to engage, participate and solidify leadership positions, especially within higher spaces of management and decision making. Kia ora, greetings. This is Talks podcast um, by Greenpeace New Zealand. I am your host Kamal and today we are talking to Arizona Ledger. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me here. You're very much welcome. <laughs> yeah, we're just chilling here in Four Shells, um, Carver House, down Victoria Park in Tamaki Makoto. Yeah, just trying to kick off one of our first pilot um, podcasts with influential people, indigenous people and youth in the climate movement and activism movement. And um, yeah, so it's an, it's an, it's an honour to have you here. And... Um, yeah, you actually got nominated for New Zealand off the year as well, if I'm not too mistaken. So, um, yeah, just cue the round of applause there as well. <laughs> no need. <laughs> um, so that was for, um, you're an Indigenous leader for uh, Girls 20, hmm. right? Can you tell us a bit more about Girls 20, um, what it is and what you were doing? Yeah, perfect. So Girls 20 uh, was actually a fresh opportunity that I had heard about in 2018 and the come up of 2019 um, and it kind of promoted itself as an opportunity to bring voices to one table to prepare a document that could inform global leaders about the decisions that they're making. So I guess in the most simplified process that's what Girls 20 Activate as, is a mobiliser of voices uh, and I was I had the opportunity to join the delegation as the Indigenous delegate in Tokyo um, and we prepared a document around female labour inclusion to inform the G20 about how to make better decisions about women in the workplace. That's amazing, that seems to be um, something that a lot of people have been talking about lately. Mm. Um, and so, like, what's your background and how did you kind of get into it? When did you decide that that is something that you needed to do or the world needed? I think that that question in itself around when when did you decide, how did you decide, um, is something that I think Indigenous peoples find really hard to answer because you come out of the womb with a responsibility uh, and you are raised to... Um, pay it back to your ancestors by paying it forward and that's something that we've heard a lot um, especially through Philly and her uh, as she's come out of the New Zealander of the Year Awards it's been a co-papa that she's been talking about a lot how do we pay it forward and how do we honour our ancestors um, so I guess yeah I don't think there was ever a real realisation I think it was just a commonality amongst all of us who have been raised by the village to ensure that we uh, we fight for a better better world that our our Tana and our juniors can grow up and, and um, whether it be one small change or one big change, as long as we're changing, then we can be enacting um, a, a much better community to be growing up in for all of our youngsters. So um, I know you asked about my background, but that's kind of, that jumped to the forefront. Because oh, yeah. um, yeah, yeah, I think cool. we're constantly asked about that, you know, what was that moment of realization? And if I'm being honest, I don't think there was one because 
from the go, from the jump, I should say, my mum's just been like, you know, understand that your responsibility is to people so much more than yourself, is to causes so much bigger than yourself. And I think the moment I lose sight of that is the moment I need like a good hiding. Wow. <laughs> I think like um, I definitely needed to hear that, you know. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's, for me, it's kind of like what you just said. Uh, is quite a parallel to the way that I guess the West kind of see things and yeah. everything is kind of like um, sort of self-driven and people have like a kind of eureka moment or uh, they have to follow the hero's journey to self-discovery or something like that but it's really important that what you're talking about is definitely something that exists within indigenous communities as well and that's kind of like the the symbiotic relationship that um, communities have with nature mm. um, and the interconnectedness can you tell us more about um you know more about that sort of i guess indigenous knowledge and the interconnectedness uh, that we have with nature and what you what that means to you yeah i think it's um i think one thing that i'll be very clear about is that's still a journey of learning that i'm going through um i'm very much a novice in the game of uh, let's say climate change in its most purest form um, what i do understand is that i'm an agent of change in that movement but what I'm learning to understand is exactly how I can be an agent of change in that space and how I can become more connected to the way in which our, our ancestors and our Atua used to do it back sure. in the days, sure, yeah. um, 100%. So um, I'll be real honest about that because the last thing I want to do is come in and start laying out the land <laughs> like I know it. Um, but in, I guess my what I'm learning to understand and um, what I've grown up kind of being 100% sure about is that um, my ancestors, our ancestors, they knew what they were doing. Like, they 100% knew what they were doing and they had a majority come in and tell them that they what they were doing wasn't right and therefore they should follow this new way. And I guess my my journey throughout the interconnectedness with nature is trying to re-figure out and relearn how my ancestors do it, did it because they knew what they were doing. So I think a lot of us talk about, you know, decolonizing spaces, reclaiming um, the reality of how it used to be uh, when when we once had self-autonomy, self-determination over the land, over the space even. Um, and so I find that one of the main responsibilities of our gen has been about breaking down all of those barriers that have been put in place um, historically so that we can re, re not necessarily redesign, but just figure it out again and then relay it into the urban fabric that we're currently living in. So it may not look the exact same as it used to, but we need to be doing more now um, in terms of learning about our interconnectedness with nature, but also learning about our interconnectedness with the environments that we're within and figuring out how much of us can we put into the urban fabric so that, again, we lay out this new fabric for our tainer and our juniors to grow up in. Um, and whether you're one thread, whether you're a whole damn thread, as long as we're all putting threads into into this fabric, we will lay out a whole different um, environment for our young people to to grow up in, especially our indigenous tainer. So um, yeah, that's kind of what comes to mind when I hear you talk about that and you ask, uh, you open up that space. Awesome. Um, but yeah. Beautiful. And so <coughs> you said that, you know, the ancestors knew exactly what they were doing uh, when they were doing it. Can you give us a little bit of an example of um, like what that looks like hmm. and paint paint a picture for us um, as to what you feel um, that means or can you just expand on what you meant by that? I think uh, if we look at, 
I think one of the finer examples maybe that I could give is, you know, we've gone, we're still going through this pandemic at the moment, right? And um, from a, I currently study Master of Human Rights and that's not the bragging part. The bragging part is that we get to bring the indigenous rights way more into the fabric of academia right now. However, in studying that, we've had to explore things like the special reports that come back around the rights of indigenous peoples. And the most current one was done on the impacts of COVID on our indigenous peoples in particular and the rights of our indigenous peoples. What the special report and the rapporteur is saying in this report is like, the world is continuing to ignore the, the knowledge and the wisdom of our indigenous peoples, which in the long run and in the short run would have saved us a heck of a lot of the problems that we're dealing with right now. So when, when I talk about our ancestors knew what they were doing and they did, it, they did it in the way that we should have kind of carried on moving forward, despite obviously historical problems, um, that's kind of what I mean by by when 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 you ask about can you explain um, how or a time when what what our what our people in the United Nations are even saying is that state members slash you know countries that are a part of the United Nations need to explore and hold themselves accountable to the amount of times they've ignored the voices of indigenous peoples in responses to things like pandemics, responses to health issues going on in their countries, um, and just in the way that they tried to apply things like quarantine and isolation without even understanding how indigenous peoples would quarantine and isolate within their cultural constructs. Had we had acknowledged this in the first most like, um, I, had we acknowledged this in the first go, I truly believe we would have either sped up the way in which we've recovered or are recovering from this pandemic, or if we had done it long before the pandemic, I'm going to say it, I don't think we would have even gotten into a pandemic. And that's on knowing that our Indigenous people know how to treat the land, they know um, how to go about and, and look after our ecosystems, and I truly like 100% back that with more attention and more um, more honour to the knowledge of Indigenous peoples, we would act, we would truly be living in a in a much better better world. Agreed. I um <clears throat> I think there is definitely something in that. Um, like when you look at um, you know the concept of um, Rahui, for example, mm. um, you know just essentially just leaving something alone you know whether it be like fish stock or like the forest like how now we've got Cody dieback mm. um as well here in new zealand um and the cure for that is to just kind of leave it alone right and obviously we've got this like western model in place that is just kind of like take 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 and it's obviously not sustainable um but yeah i was watching a ted talk and um this person who was like a um a disease control expert um they were saying that because we're pushing Mother Earth or the Earth to its limits, like we've got cattle farms and in the Amazon rainforest, and mm. um, we're pushing nature, we're pushing onto the brink of um, the edge of nature into to the wild. You know, um, like cows. You know, they shouldn't exist in the amount that they exist now. They never existed on this type of level, mm. or like agriculture. And we're using a land which should have never been used in the first place. And then, you know, we're, mi we're, we're mixing these things and it's not 
it's not an it's like the opposite of organic it's the opposite of natural you know we're selectively breeding um and we're definitely pushing mother nature to its brink mm. and you can look at it like in a way that it just snaps back you know um and it just it kind it's kind of like no we've i've had enough and so you know we get like pandemics and stuff like that but also just even like scientifically um you know when are these two animals ever going to be together and then you know you might get a disease that jumps from an animal to another animal that inevitably and in, ends up in you know um in our food chain and you know in us um yeah and i think you're fully right you know that's that's essentially how it should be did you physically go to the G- the g20 um yes the summit? So i snuck in before the world became a new world oh, okay when was that uh, so that was in 2019, I, th- I think May, don't quote me on that, but about yeah, midway through 2019. And where, where was that? Uh, in Tokyo, in oh, Japan. Yeah, sorry, yes, Tokyo, mm. you said before. Awesome. Um, and so how many of you went? Uh, 23, 24 of us from around the world wow. um, joined in Japan for a week. Yep. And then, um, yeah, had honestly like one of the most life-changing experiences for me personally. Was it just like, because... Um, because of the way that um, was just being in Tokyo, because there's a lot, there's a lot going on oh in hey, Tokyo. I, I won't deny. To <laughs> Love Tokyo. Like I think if there was another country, oh, another city that I could yeah. go and exist in, even if it be for a month, I definitely would be there in a heartbeat. Mm. Um, but I think for me, you know, and, and I, I don't know. I think this probably touches on a whole different topic for us as Indigenous peoples. But I had been in a phase of my life where I just committed myself to so much um, whether it be mahi for the community whether it just be my studies because I think I had just come off the end of my studies and into my first full-time job experience Um, and I really had driven myself so hard into work and into things around me that I had really lost parts of myself that I actually really appreciated prior to Um, so when I got to go to Japan it was actually a week to just pause and you know, we talk about healing, we talk about Rahui. It was a it was a chance to just pause and be appreciated for myself and who, who I was and the voice that I could bring to the table. And in that moment when I was kind of maybe about midway through, I had people giving me um, compliments and kind of uplifting comments that I hadn't heard since I was like 15, 16 about myself. Small things, big things, being like, oh, you know, you're a really great storyteller. And I hadn't heard that for years. And I really started to think, man, like, or whilst I don't regret any of the years that I had committed to the mahi that we were doing, um, it was definitely a massive uh, aha moment to just kind of say, yeah, actually, our voices are important at these tables and I can't give my all to my community if I'm not full, if if my cup's not full, um, if I haven't had a chance to pause and reassess where I'm at. So, you know, beyond that, when I returned back to Auckland, I actually ended up resigning from my job and I took took close to eight months off just to sit, be, reconnect with people um, and just revisit those things that I thought I had actually lost about myself. And have some fun as well. Absolutely. Well, I think that was the fun of it really, was that I didn't have expectations on me, um, you know, societal Western expectations around nine to fives and all of those things. I could be in in control of my time to go have fun and then to go be, shucks, I think I would have been 23, I think at the time, to just go be 23. I think throughout my whole teens and up until my 23rd year, I had been expected to be so much more than I really was um so it it was a chance to just exist as a 23 year old girl um figuring herself out (laughs) 
yeah it's it's easy to kind of get stuck into it and like just kind of forget to take the time off and it's real important um um i know like a lot of i guess community leaders and and people um i should say your age because you're a little bit younger than me but <laughs> i wish i could say my age um our age but um even like my age as well um you know it's easy to get so stuck in and you're so passionate about this and you've got your community you've got your family whanau and um and you kind of forget about um uh you know yourself yeah. sometimes yeah so it's real important to take that time off and um time out and maybe do something completely different yeah. as well you know like just something that's totally unrelated you watch a movie do things like that definitely um, it's real important and i think that it's quite common to have burnout mm. um and activism as well and it's something that we don't really talk about um in the activist community per se mm. um like you know it is quite um it's it's quite a demanding thing even if you know whether you're up all night painting banners or going to a march or trying to organize people and uh, diffuse situations and stuff like that we just got to remember to be kind to each other um and and look out for one another as well mm. at the same time um but yeah so um so that was in may 2019 yeah awesome awesome cool and then so what are you up to nowadays uh, <laughs> I'm involved in a few random things. I feel like um, I feel like I enjoy staying involved in various things because once I set my heart on one thing, I do exactly what I did in 2019, and I just drive hard and then burn out. Um, so I, yeah, I currently do some mahi um, as a public servant, um, and outside of that to be honest like I just focus on different roles and different jobs that allow me to give back to my community if it's not directly then definitely indirectly um, creating things like media stuff so videography love that um, have joined a couple of opportunities to um, recreate and kind of push the borders on what media could look like for things like sports teams here in New Zealand um, which I think is quite cool because I think we've got massive potential to really get that market moving um, in a way that empowers the athletes to really feel good about themselves online um, and then outside of that it's just focused on being a good older sister uh, which I think could be quite debatable if my brother's ever heard that um, and then yeah a good daughter which I think in the years that I had committed myself to all these other causes, I think I lost sight of what it meant to be a good sister and a good daughter to my family um, because because at the end of the day I took for granted how much of a given my family is to me and how committed they are to me, so I didn't commit back to them for years. So I think, yeah, this my 20s has been a massive commitment back to them and trying to, um, yeah, trying to bust down a few walls that I might have put up as a teen um, and then trying to re re redesign uh how the how the family structure could look like for us moving moving forward um especially as the eldest because you know being the eldest and i put it in quotes because those who are the eldest will understand um it's never the easiest job but i think it's always the most uh fulfilling at the end of the day i can relate as the um <laughs> as the older sibling welcome definitely <laughs> definitely the one making all the mistakes and yeah Definitely not getting spoiled, that's for sure. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> know how it is. Yeah, just lastly, as a sort of closing note, um, and you can get as deep or as shallow as you want, um, 
if you have an opinion on sort of how the social class and issues uh, that you've been talking about intersect with climate change and the environmental movement? Mm. Um. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, I think the question is deep. Um, I, you said how they intersect, is that? Intersect or interact yeah, with yeah. the environmental or like... <coughs> with the environmental movement or like climate change yeah yeah cool um i as someone who uh aspires to be an ally and a supporter of those who are truly on the front lines of our climate change movement i think um personally for me it's important that we understand that we all have a part to play whether it directly sees you sitting on the front line having that fight or it indirectly sees you fighting for it in the spaces that you are in. So when we ask about social and, and class issues that we have talked about, my commitment to ensuring that our brothers, sisters, cousins on the front line for our climate change can can fully move forward in their f at their fullest potential, my commitment to them is by fighting in the spaces that I am in to ensure that they're allowed to move as far as they need to. So, you know, when I... Um, when I am talking about other things to do with female labor inclusion, um, when I'm talking about indigenous rights, all of my commitment and my energy that I want to exhaust in that space is an indirect commitment to making sure that our brothers, sisters, cousins on the front line, that their voices are heard more in spaces of decision making, um, that their faces are seen more than other faces trying to champion those movements. Um, and that even within those communities, that we look at the intersections of voices that are still being missed out, that are still being um, ignored or erased, and trying to figure out how we can move everyone to the start line. Because, you know, we constantly hear things like the United Nations saying, nobody, leave no one behind, I think, is their 2030 agenda. And I find that so hard to commit to yet because we haven't even admitted that we're ignoring that people, certain people even exist. So I think we need to make sure that we get that bottom line up first before we can talk about leaving no one behind, before we can talk about doing a great job in our activism. And then I think finally the understanding of I used to struggle heaps when people would class um, or group people as activists, especially when, as we said at the beginning, you come out of the womb with a responsibility to your community, to your village. Um, and if that makes you an activist, then so be it. But also, I think it's real easy for people to just get classed as it um, out of their, out of their, like in discomfort. Like I hate it when, when that comes up into conversations because at the end of the day, it's just our responsibility to make sure that we're enabling a better community, a better society for our young ones to grow up in and for ourselves to thrive in. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think they, they all intersect with the climate change movement. And I'd love for everyone to understand whether you stand on that front line or not, we all have a commitment to ensuring that um, the climate change movement has every ability to move forward and achieve and succeed. Um, and if, if that be if that be fighting against your own people in your own spaces or if it be joining them on the front line, just make sure you play a part because we all have to play a part to ensure that everyone exists and that no one gets left behind. Yeah. This is Tea Talks podcast, powered by Greenpeace Aotearoa, made with the help of our supporters. Thank you for listening.